Well, again, I want to welcome you this morning to the Awesome Stone. My name is Matt Carter, the founding pastor of the Stone, started this church in 2002, and uh, now I serve as the pastor of preaching here. I'm glad you're here on this Easter Sunday morning. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. Um, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen. You might get some water, man. Um, we're going to have them on the screen, and I'll be uh, reading those along the way. We are here today. There's water right there. So, here's why we're here. We're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. A couple thousand years ago, a man named Jesus from a small backwoods town called Nazareth in the Middle East died on a Roman cross to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin. And not only did he die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, but three days later, the scripture claims he rose from the dead, conquering death. So that if we trust into that and believe into that, when we die, we also will be raised from the dead to newness of life. It's called the gospel, and that's why we're here today. That's what we celebrate. And I want to kind of begin today by sharing with you a quote, something I read the other day from Pastor Tim Keller. He's a great theologian, pastor in New York City. And he said this about the resurrection, and I think it's right on the money. He said this. He said, if, if Christ did not rise from the dead, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? If Christ did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? But if Christ did rise from the dead, then you must accept everything that he said. And that is a great and very true statement. That if Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave, then he's no different than than Buddha or Gandhi or other good men that came to this earth and lived a good life and had a few good things to say, but then died and are still in their grave. And if that's all that Jesus is, then then just like those other men, you can kind of take or leave what they have to say because they're dead. But, but if Jesus did rise from the grave, if in fact he did rise from the grave, then he is not just a good man. If he did rise from the grave, he's not just a good man, but he is the living God. And because he is the living God, if that is true, then we must accept and we must respond to everything that he said. And so today what I want to do with our short time together is I just want to talk to you today briefly about what the primary response is that the scripture says we are to do in light of its claim, the scripture's claim that Christ did in fact rise from the grave and is now alive. The primary and most important response for you and for me in light of the claim of the scripture that Jesus did rise from the grave, and that is to believe, to believe. Let me read this to you, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Scripture says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Next verse, for with the heart... One believes and is justified. That word means your sins are forgiven. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. And I want to just stop, make it a little aside here, and let you know that that, those two verses distinguish Christianity from every single other religion in the history of the world. Those two verses separate us and distinguish Christianity from every religion that's ever come down the pike. And here's why. Because every other religion teaches this, that if you're good enough, and if you follow all the rules, and if you do everything that God tells you to do, then maybe God will accept you. Maybe he'll love you. Maybe he'll let you back in. 
But what Christianity teaches is not that at all. Christianity teaches that God loves us and he accepts us and he enters into a relationship with us, not based on something you do or don't do, not based on how good you are or how bad you are, but he enters into a relationship with us based on something that Jesus has already done, which is to die on a cross and rise again three days later. And our calling is to believe into that with, for our salvation. To believe into something that Jesus has already done. It separates us from everything else, from everyone else. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, read it again. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now there's a key word in this sentence here that I think gives us a lot of understanding and exactly what it is that God is asking from you and from me in regards to our belief in the resurrection and it's the word heart. That word heart right there is key to understanding what God is asking us to respond to. And here's why that word is important, that we believe in our hearts. Because actually, that's important because there are two kinds of belief in the resurrection. There are two very different kinds of belief you can have in the resurrection. One will lead you to salvation and one will not lead you to salvation. One kind of belief in the resurrection is this, that you can believe in the resurrection in your mind. In other words, you can be here today and you can have an intellectual belief in the resurrection, but it ends and it stops there. But there's another kind of uh, belief in the resurrection. And that's when your belief in the resurrection goes from your mind down into your heart. It goes from just an an intellectual sense that you believe that something might have happened 2,000 years ago, but it gets down into the core of who you are and becomes the very being and essence of who you are down in your heart and in your gut. And that's what the scripture is saying there, that we're to believe in our hearts. And the distinction between the two is absolutely critical. Okay, because there's a lot of reasons that you can believe intellectually in the resurrection. I'll give you some examples. For example, um, I could give you empirical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And you might believe intellectually in the resurrection because of that. Okay, great example is Peter. The Apostle Peter, you, you look at the life of Peter before and after the resurrection, and there's a radical difference in him before and after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, the night that, that Jesus was betrayed three times, somebody walks up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you the guy that hung out with Jesus? Aren't you the guy that was one of his disciples? Aren't you the one that followed him around? Aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And three times Peter looks back at that person and says, I don't even know him. He completely denies that he is involved with Christ whatsoever. He's scared to death to die. That's before the resurrection. But then after the resurrection, we see over and over again, recorded in the book of Acts, that something happened to Peter. So he saw something. Something is radically different about this guy. Because you see Peter uh, in the book of Acts, he's standing like in a town square. He's not in a church like I am now. He's in a town square and he's preaching out in public that there was a man named Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And, 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 and these guys come up to him, these leaders come up to him and they say, Peter, you've got to shut up or we're going to take you into that jail over there and we're going to beat you. And he says, I'm sorry, you guys are going to have to beat me because I cannot stop speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard. And so they take him into the jail cell and they beat him with the rod and then they let him go. And you know what he does? He goes back out and starts preaching again. Why? The answer is because he saw something. And what Peter saw was a resurrected Christ. And it changed his life. 
And I can tell you stories like that, and you can believe in your mind about the resurrection. I can tell you stories like the testimonies of the men who wrote the New Testament, like Paul. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest, most powerful Jewish leaders in history before he became a believer. He, was, um, he persecuted the church. His whole goal in life, Paul, was to kill Christians. He was there when the first Christian was martyred, Stephen, when he was stoned. He was there watching it. And he, he, he hated the church. He hated Christ. And one day he was going down the road to Damascus, and, and Jesus appears to him and knocks him down and blinds him. And this guy becomes a believer in a hurry. But that decision to follow Christ cost him everything. Think about it. He lost his position. He lost his power. He lost his wealth. And he was tortured over and over and over again because he refused to stop telling people that he had seen and encountered a very real and very risen Christ. Now you think about that, that Paul had everything to lose. Paul had absolutely everything to lose and absolutely nothing to gain if, in fact, Jesus had not risen from the grave. Everything to lose, nothing to gain if the resurrection never happened. And yet he continued over and over again to speak about it. Listen to 1 Corinthians. Don't turn there. Just read this with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in a sin, in your sin. He said, if Jesus never came out of the ground, your faith, it's, it's pointless, and you're still in your sin. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have really perished. He goes, if Jesus never came out of the ground, then all your loved ones that have died before you, they're still dead. He goes on in this important statement. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this. He's like, if Jesus didn't really come out of the grave... If Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then all this that we're doing is dumb. If Jesus is not alive, if he didn't rise from the grave three days later, then all this we're doing is ridiculous. And if Jesus did not come out of the ground, then we, above all people in the world, are most to be pitied. Because if Jesus didn't come out of the ground, you and I are wasting our lives, is what Paul is saying. But then watch what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, if in In Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, he says, but, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Why would a guy give up everything? Why? Why would a guy walk away from everything and be tortured over and over again for a lie? The answer is he wouldn't. Church, I'm telling you, Paul saw something and it changed his life. I could tell you stories like that and you could have an intellectual belief in the resurrection. I could tell you my story, which I'm about to do. I, um, I, uh, and I'll say this, but besides my salvation and my call to ministry, I've had two times in my life where I have had an experience with God that I think is so kind of supernatural that I absolutely cannot explain it. Uh, one was uh, right after my mother's death when I was in Belize on a mission trip. I've shared that story before. And one happened a couple weeks ago over spring break. And I debated for a long time telling you this story. I debated two weeks telling you this story. Because I'm going to tell you this story and a lot of you in this room are going to think I'm crazy. And um, you're going to go to lunch today and, and college student, you, you brought your parents here and your parents are going to go, that dude's nuts, man. Why are you bringing me to this church? Um, 
And just know that I know this. I fear the Lord. And I believe that I'm going to be held to account for everything I say from, from this stage. And so just know that I don't take that lightly whatsoever. I'm, I'll tell you the story. But me and uh, a buddy of mine, which is actually on the second row, and I've never told him the story. He was hearing it for the first time. Uh, we, are, we coached junior high football. And we took our boys that we played football with. And we coached football to uh, uh, Colorado over spring break. And about the fourth day we were there, the boys decided that they wanted to climb a mountain. And asked me if I wanted to go, and my answer was absolutely not, because I'm old, and my knees are busted, and I'm out of shape. And the last thing I wanted to do was climb a mountain. But they decided they wanted to go. We decided to climb Estes Cone, which is in, near Estes Park. It's 11,007 feet. And uh, we get to, I decided I'd go with them. I told them I would. And the reason I told them I would is because, you know, it's kind of hard to make guys run wind sprints in August if I'm not willing to climb a mountain in, in uh, the whatever month we're in right now, March. And so I'm like, all right, I'll go with you. We get to the base of the mountain, we find the trail, the trail's covered in snow, which sounds really cool, except when you're trying to walk in it, and there was a little trail about this big that you could walk on, it's kind of hard packed snow, but if you, if you kind of stepped off the trail at all because you were looking at the scenery, which is kind of the point of hiking, right, uh, look at the scenery, but you can't look at the scenery because if you step off the trail, you would sink about hip deep in snow, and then my friend Nate would have to come over and help me out of the snow, and that was about four miles up the mountain, that was my story. Um, and in the last about 200 yards of the, the trek, because we lost the trail, the trail that no longer existed in the snow, and so we're just going up the mountain, and the last couple hundred yards is pretty much kind of straight up, it's just rock, and so it's not like straight up rock climbing, but pretty close, and for an old fat guy like me, that was really hard, that was the, literally, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, I was dying, my buddy Nate that was with me, this coach with me, he's a personal trainer, it's what he does for a living, he's fine, you know, he's never even breaking a sweat, and I'm literally about to die. But I finally make it to the top of this mountain, and I sat down right at the peak. I'll show you a picture of, of me sitting down. Y'all got that picture? Here we go. That's me up at the top. That, see the rocks? That's what I did for 200 yards. That's steeper than it looks, all right? And that's, that's me right there not doing well, all right? I'm struggling right there. That's my struggling face. And the boys finally made it up there, uh, up to the top of the mountain. And, uh, and, and the whole time I, I, I was getting to that place right there, I'm praying this prayer. I'm praying this prayer, Lord please don't let me slip, <laughs> please don't let me die, please don't let these boys slip and die, and I finally made it to the top, and the boys finally made it to the top, and here's a picture that my son took with his iPhone, no filter, uh, of, the, of the summit, we <laughs> show this right here, next picture, next picture, there we go, that's what, that's iPhone, isn't that great, it's really pretty, and so I'm looking at this happen, or rather I'm looking at, that's what I'm looking at, and the boys are up on the summit, and I'm down there in my little spot, now I want to stop right there, we're going to leave the picture up. And I want to stop right there and I want to just tell you kind of what's been going on in my life the last couple of months that I think led to this story being so meaningful to me. So I've been a couple of times in my life, two or three in my life, and I, you know, some, I'm just being really transparent with you. I think all of us probably go through this. Most of us don't ever admit it, but there have been a couple of times in my life, once when I was 21, I think, and once recently, where I just had this moment, some things were going wrong in my life and struggling with stuff and and I just had this moment where I'm, I, I'm talking to God. I was like, God, it, it's always real, you know. God, are you really there? God, I've given my whole life to your ministry. Are you, are you even real? And I had this moment, and, and I got over it. It passed. And, but then I felt real guilty because I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to struggle with stuff like that. And I felt really guilty. And, 
and just really felt like, am I even saved, God? Because I had these moments in my life of doubt about your very existence. And, and so I'm sitting on the mountain looking up here. And again, guys, I'm telling you, this story's crazy, but it's happened. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, the boys are up there eating. I'm looking right over those mountains over there to the right. And as I was sitting there, I, the, the verse came to me, Psalms 121, which is the verse that says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. And where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And, and, I, and, I, and I quoted that verse, but I didn't just quote that verse out loud. I said it to the Lord. It's like I was having a conversation with God. I said, God, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and maker of earth. And when I said those words, maker of heaven, I just had this moment in my heart where I said, God, I really believe this. I really believe, Lord. I'm looking at those mountains. I was like, I really believe that you made this, all this. You're the maker of heaven and earth. And when I said that, and here the crazy part comes in. When I said that, um, <laughs> the clouds above the mountain formed into a face. And I was looking at it, and at first it just kind of looked like sort of a face. I was like, oh, that's cool, look, there's a face. You know, kind of like when you're a little kid, and you're like, look, there's a face. And your brother goes, look, no, that's a dinosaur, right? You know, that kind of thing. And, but, but then it got clearer and clearer and clearer. And I'm telling you, and, and hair, it was like hair, flowing hair, beard, eyes, nose, mouth, very, very clear, just like staring at me. I was like, whoa, that is crazy. And I was sitting there, I'm like, God, are you are you like showing me your face? Like what's going on? And about the time I had myself convinced that that was just, you know, a cloud thing. Then all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there and I just in my mind, I was like, that's not even real. The face formed into the face of a lion. Those came out, mane came out and it was so real and it was so clear. So absolutely clear. I broke into tears and I began to cry uncontrollably and I just began to worship God. And I could not get myself together for about 20 minutes. I absolutely could not. And I just worshiped. I was just, God, you're my God. You are my Lord. You are my God. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking that we probably stopped at the legal marijuana shop on the way up to the mountain. <laughs> but we did not. I don't know what some of you else are thinking. You Southern Baptists in there, you're thinking that, well, Matt, your brain was oxygen deprived. And that is entirely possible at that point. But regardless, I believe with all my heart that the Lord was revealing himself to me, regardless of what I did or didn't see, revealing himself to me and speaking to me in that moment and saying, Matt, I'm here. I'm real. I'm with you. I got you. It ministered to me so Absolutely deeply, but maybe the best part of the story happened that night. I went back home and I was laying in bed and I, and I pretty much had myself convinced that I had dreamed the whole thing or yes, I, my brain was oxygen deprived and I just, I was like, that, that never happened. So I decided before I went to bed, I'm going to read Psalm 121. I was, I was curious. I'm like, I, rem, I had the first two lines memorized. What's the next line? I was just curious. And so I sat down in bed and I read it. Psalms 121 verse 1. Scripture says, I will lift my eyes up to the mountains from where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's the part I had memorized. And I wondered what the next verse was. Now remember what I had prayed all the way up and all the way down. Lord, please don't let me slip. 
Please let me fall, Lord. Please don't let these boys slip. Don't let them fall. And here's the very next line. We'll read verse one again. I will lift my eyes up to the mountain from where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in verse three, here's the very next line. The very next line says, and he will not allow your foot to slip. I had no idea that's what it said. He will not allow your foot to slip. It's fascinating to me. David is speaking to the Lord. God, I lift my eyes up. And all of a sudden, verse 3 is God speaking back to him. He will not allow your foot to slip. He He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And again, remember what I've been going through? Doubt. Feeling guilty. Wondering if I'm even saved because of these doubts. Listen to the next line. This is when I I really lost it. In verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil and he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming forth from this time forth and forevermore. And again, I lost it. And I lost it because I knew for a fact that God was speaking to me. And I'm telling you, folks, nobody, nobody can convince me that our God is not alive. No one can convince me that our God is not alive. You can't. But here's the thing. I could tell you stories like that. I could tell you stories like Peter. I could tell you stories like Paul. I could give you all the historic and and, and apologetic evidence in the world. And you can have an intellectual belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but that is not the kind of belief that God is looking for today. It's not the kind of belief that saves us. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, not your mind, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. An intellectual belief does not save you. A heart belief is what saves you. And there is an eternal difference between an intellectual belief and a heart belief in the resurrection of Jesus. And so that begs the question, well, Matt, how do I know? How do I know that my belief in the resurrection of Christ has gone from my head down into my heart and therefore is saving me from my sin? How do I know that it's made the distance? And the answer to the question is found on the first part of 10.9. Watch this. Read 10.9 with me again. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, everybody hear this. Here's how you can know for sure that your belief in the resurrection has gone from your mind down into your heart. It is when your belief in the resurrection is accompanied by the reality and the confession that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You can say all day long, yeah, I believe the resurrection happened, but until it comes out of your mouth and your life, Jesus is my Lord, he is my God, you are not saved. And guys, it is so entirely possible for you to have an intellectual belief in the resurrection and not confess Christ as Lord of your life. And a great example of that is in the story of the resurrection itself. There's a, there's a group of guys in the story of the resurrection that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, but they refused to confess Christ as Lord of their life, and they died in their sin. Jesus was crucified, and the, they took the body 
very lifeless body, and they put it in the tomb, and the Jewish leaders did not want anybody thinking that disciples came and stole the body away. So what they did is they rolled a rock in front of the tomb, and they sealed it and put Roman guards in front of the, in front of the tomb. And watch what happened here. Watch this encounter with these Roman soldiers and the resurrection in Matthew 28 two. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay, here's what just happened. Here's what just happened. These guards posted in front of the tomb, they feel the earthquake. These guards posted in front of the tomb, they see an angel who looks like lightning come down and roll away the stone that had been sealed. And these guards are so scared, they're so afraid of what they see, the scripture says they tremble and became like dead men. They're like, ah, we're out, boom. And they're like, we're playing dead till this is all over. And they're laying on the ground. And then uh, if that weren't enough, the angel starts talking. This guy that looks like lightning, he starts talking because Mary and Mary had showed up in the tomb to pay their respects to Jesus. And the angel says, hey, Mary and Mary, why don't you go ahead and go in the tomb? Because Jesus isn't there. He says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Go on in there. Jesus is not there. And so Mary and Mary go inside the tomb. And sure enough, Jesus is gone. He's gone. Now, here's the thing. If anybody in the history of the world believed in the resurrection of Jesus, it was those Roman guards. They saw it. They were there when Jesus' body was placed into the tomb. They saw the stone be sealed. They saw the stone be rolled away by an angel, for crying out loud. They heard him talking. They were so afraid they fell on the ground. They believed that Jesus was risen from the grave. And I want you to watch, though, their response to their mind's belief in the resurrection. In Matthew 28, 11, it says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. In other words, they went in the city. Chief priest, here's what just happened. Jesus is not there. And an angel opened the door. He's alive. (laughs) Everything he said was going to happen. It happened. Watch what happened next. In verse 12 it says, And when they had assembled with elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible to me. These men absolutely 100% believed in the reality of the resurrection because they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. But because they were afraid of what they were going to lose, they refused to confess Christ as Lord of their life. Because they were afraid that they were going to lose their jobs, because they were afraid of what people were going to think, because they were afraid they were going to lose their lives, they believed in the resurrection, but they would not confess Christ as Lord. And when they would not confess Christ as Lord, they gave up something more precious than their jobs or their life. They gave up eternal life. And the scripture never tells us what happened, but if those men stay the same, 
They died in their sins. Because Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Church, for salvation to occur in your life, your belief has to go from your head to your heart. And the way that you know that your belief has gone from your head to your heart is when you confess with your mouth and your life that Jesus is my Lord. And I want to end today with a story. story of a man that went in a matter of seconds from a non-believer in the resurrection to an intellectual heart or head believer in the resurrection to a heart believer in the resurrection just in a matter of seconds. And his name is Thomas. He doubted. He did not believe that Christ had been raised from the grave. All the other disciples saw Christ. Thomas wasn't there. And so when the disciples came to Thomas, said, hey, he's alive. We just saw him with our own eyes. Thomas said, unless he shows me uh, the scars in his hands and I can put my fingers in there, unless I can put my hand in his side where he was pierced, he says, I refuse to believe this. The Greek there, the original language, New Testament was written and was explicit. Uh, Thomas said, I absolutely, totally refuse to believe this happened. And that's why Thomas has been given the name throughout history, Doubting Thomas. But I want you to watch the interaction when he meets Jesus for the first time after the resurrection. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. In John chapter 20, verse 25. It says, so the other disciples were saying to him, that's Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. But look at the next verse. Awesome. 26. It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then in verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, I love that about Jesus. After eight days, he shows up, he walks in the door, and he goes straight to the one guy in the room that didn't believe. Love that about Jesus. He completely ignores the other guys there and just goes straight to the one that doubted. He just pursues Thomas and goes right to him and looks right at him. Doesn't say anything else. Peace be with you, Thomas, let's talk. And he goes right to Thomas and watch what he says. He says, Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it in my side. Now watch what he says next. It's key. And he looks at Thomas and he says, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. That's not a request in the original language. That is a command. Thomas, here's my hands. Here's my side. But before you even touch him, Thomas, I got something I need to say to you. Be not unbelieving, but be believing. And look at Thomas's response in verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. How do we know Thomas went from a non-believer in the resurrection to a head believer in the resurrection? Because he saw Jesus. He couldn't deny him anymore that he was alive. But how do we know for sure that Thomas went from a head believer to a heart believer? And the answer to the question is because when Jesus looked at him and said, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas's response was, you are my Lord. And you are my God. As a matter of fact, we know he had a heart belief in the resurrection. 
Because Thomas left that room that day after encountering the risen Lord and he was never the same again. Thomas became a missionary to India and he died being impaled with a spear because he refused to stop preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. I would say we probably need to stop calling him Doubting Thomas. Some of you are here today and you find yourself in this church on Easter Sunday morning you don't believe in the resurrection. Probably many more of you, quite honestly, you believe intellectually in the resurrection, but that's where it's ended. Because there's never been a time in your life where you have confessed with your mouth and with your life, Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you are my savior and I'm gonna give my life to you today. And so my question to you is this. It's just like the Roman soldiers. Is, is there something in your life today, if that's you, is there something in your life that you're afraid to lose if not only you believe, but you confess, nope, he's my Lord. What the Roman soldiers should have done, here's some money. Tell everybody he didn't rise from the grave. Sorry, can't do that. The guy came out of the grave. He's God. I'm going to do it. He says, not you. Are there things in your life you're afraid to give up because you're afraid you're going to lose something if you, if you say, you know what, Jesus, you can have it. I'm telling you today that there is nothing you could give up in this life for Jesus that will not be absolutely overwhelmed by what you receive in eternity with your Lord and Savior. Nothing. And so if you're one of those two places today you don't believe or you have an intellectual belief but never confess, someday God may knock you down on some road and you might believe, and I hope that happens to you, I really do, like Paul. Someday like me, God may write it in the sky for you and I hope he does. But more than likely, all he may ever do for you is what he did for Thomas. Which is, you're in a room just like this with a bunch of believers. But he walks right into it and he's speaking to you. He's not talking to anybody else. He's, he's just speaking to you. He's coming to the one person that he knows does not believe. And he's looking at you in the eye and he's saying to you today it's may, all he may ever do for you is look at you and make no mistake our God's alive he's doing this for you right now he's looking at you and he's saying do not be unbelieving but be believing and the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life is will my response be in that moment you are my Lord and you are my God if that's where you are t today, I just want you to know that there, there's nothing more important you could ever do than, than believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the grave and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I can't think of a better day today than today to do it. But for those of you in the room who, who this is your story, you do believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead and you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I want you to know, and I believe you'll agree with me in this, that if that's where you're at today, you've confessed and believed, we have a lot of reasons to celebrate today. Amen? We've got a lot of reasons to celebrate. And here's the best one. Because one day you're going to die. 
But you have no reason to fear that day. Because on the day that you breathe your last breath, you can die with the confidence of knowing. You can die with the confidence of knowing that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has already conquered death and he has been raised to the newness of life. And so when you breathe your last, you too, because of him, will be raised to the newness of life forever with our God. That's why we celebrate. That's what Easter's all about. I don't know what you thought it was about, that's it. So we're gonna celebrate that today. Believers are gonna celebrate. But now let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. And if there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted into the completed work on the cross and the resurrection of Christ and confessed Christ as the Lord of your life, right now in the best way you know how, I want you to do it. Just right where you sit. Scripture says, not my words, but the Lord's. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, I love you. I thank you that you have been the keeper of my soul. I, I believe, God, that you are going to guard me and keep me from this time forth forevermore. Father, I thank you that I pray right now to a God that is not still in his grave, but I pray right now to a living God. And I pray that you would reveal that truth to many as we sing. And I pray for those in this room that can stand with confidence today and knowing that you are their Lord and their God, I pray that we would sing and give glory that is due your name today. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.